Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Kyle and Sarah, and this is Running the Pass. This is a podcast for restaurant owners and operators and hospitality uh, professionals or industry professionals, uh, such as accountants, bookkeepers, lawyers, uh, realtors, to kind of just check in on the industry and learn something. Maybe you learned something by listening to this podcast. That would be great. (laughs) Anyway, um, I wanted to thank everybody so far who has listened. The response to the podcast has been tremendous and kind of just update you on a couple things. Uh, number one, again, with the Facebook group, we are kind of off and running with the Facebook group. It's the Running the, po- the, Running the Pass podcast on um, Facebook. Just search Running the Pass under groups and you should be able to find us. And then also wanted to let you know that... Um, I will be speaking at the ICSC conference in New York at the Javits Center on December 10th at 3 o'clock. Hopefully some of you guys can make it. I would love to catch up with you guys, maybe even do a podcast while we are there. I just thought of that. That would be awesome. So, um, yeah, if you're going to be there and you would like to do a podcast... Uh, hit me up, send me a DM on Instagram at Kyle and Sarah, or you can always text me at 631-965-1300. Anyway, here is a new episode, the new episode of the podcast with John Brennan from Flavorism. Uh, John runs a virtual kitchen here in Stanford, Connecticut, and he's going to tell you what that's been like and uh, what he thinks it means for the future of dining. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, guys. And uh, enjoy your day. All right, guys, welcome back to Running the Pass uh, today. Um, a topic that I've been talking about quite a bit on both social and here on the podcast. And today we have John Brennan. He is from Flavorism in Stanford. How you doing, John? Doing very well. How are you, Kyle? Very well. Thanks uh, again for agreeing to be on here. I know you have your hands full, so I appreciate you taking a couple minutes here to chat with, uh, chat with me. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Flavorism. Sure. So I came from the food background. I started, like I think, just about everybody else. I was a dishwasher when I was 11 and 12 years old. Um, worked my way up and eventually ended up at some higher profile places. Um, finished my culinary career at a company called Abigail Kirsch um, as the executive chef. And then this is 2010, 2012. I started building software, um, which was Menu Maven. The, the software is focused on food delivery and online ordering. Um, and I was uh, successful in the corporate world, feeding large groups of people by gathering all the area restaurants and creating what I called a virtual food hall for people in a you know group environment, everybody in a fixed location like an office building. And the more I started looking at the marketplace, I started to think like, you know, how do I do this for homes? In the corporate world, we were, we're well, we continue to be very successful. 
Um, but the real benefit to everybody in the office was that they could order from just about any restaurant they could think of, and they could order from multiple restaurants at one time, and all the food would arrive at almost together because the restaurants were agreeing on very specific delivery times. As I started looking at homes, I was saying, you know, what would a family of four do if they could order from three or four different restaurants at once? Um, and I thought they would find it pretty exciting. I thought because you know people of different ages, people different backgrounds, they have different tastes. But doing a food delivery business where four different restaurants showed up to that house, it would be nearly impossible. It would be not cost effective for anybody, and it'd probably be annoying for the household too. But what if we put all of those restaurants into one building in what I call a virtual kitchen or what are now being referred to as cloud kitchens or ghost kitchens? Could we then change the dynamic of home delivery? Um, and that's where the sort of source for flavorism came, which was if we put enough restaurants into this one facility, could we then make this very exciting for you know, a home of you know three or four people to each get exactly what they want, but all the food arrives at exactly the same time with the same driver, and everything was cooked at exactly the right time to you know create that sort of dinner at home feel without the effort of having to cook for ourselves. Got it. Uh, so that was what year when you started that? Started this? Started Flavorism in 2016. Okay. So we started building and then started working on this the. Um, software specifically for it in 2014. Okay. Um, unlike other systems that are out there um, or, or other businesses that tried to do it, we were the only one that was building software purposely for this type of business. Um, you know, there, there's a few other um, cloud kitchens or ghost kitchens that started uh, over the past few years. Most of them have already closed up and now there's a new round coming, but um, they're all relying on the, the third-party apps like uh, Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats and things like that. Um, Flavorism was really built you know, physically from the ground up for this home delivery, but the software that they're using is also built specifically for tying these different kitchens together and creating a workflow that manages the quality of the food. Right. Such things as, as simple as timing of a quesadilla versus a smoothie um, right. becomes somewhat complex. It's yeah, of course. Call this running the pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I can imagine. I, I mean, it's hard to get the you know the salad and the French fries to go at the same time in in one restaurant. Yeah. Ooh. So what we do very differently here is the the cooks all have screens that are directly above their stations, but the expediter in this facility is the delivery team. So there's a multiple tiers of delivery drivers and expediters. But what's happening is the, the head delivery driver here, um, he's looking at a set of computer screens. He's looking at traffic patterns. He's looking at live feeds of some of the cameras on 95. And as he's making, he also sees all of his vehicles in real time moving around Stanford and Greenwich in those areas he's making determinations as to when those cars are going to return and when the next customer's order is going out. And as he's updating his timing, it's updating directly in front of those cooks, exactly when they should start cooking something, when they should finish it. And the cooks have the ability to say, I'm running behind or I'm, I'm getting ahead here. What can we do to change this? What's crazy if you come into the kitchens is it's almost silent. They may be putting out several hundred meals per hour 
but you come in and you look around and nobody, there's no screaming or anything like that. So it's, you know, it's, it, it sounds like they're not doing anything, but the reality is they're all very, very much in tune with what the next person is doing. They're just doing it digitally. You still there? We lose our connection. Thought he went silent awfully easy. Hello. Hey. Hey. I, I lost it there. <laughs> I lost it there for a sec. So, sorry. Describe the physical, um, the actual physical space. What does it look like? Does it uh, look like a traditional restaurant? I think a lot of people aren't quite grasping what um, a virtual food hall would look like. So, what what does that look like from the inside? Is it uh, like a full on commercial kitchen, or does it look like a mall kind of setup food hall? How, Describe it. No, yeah. Uh, so it's a commercial kitchen or multiple kitchens built around this sort of delivery hub. Um, the kitchens themselves are, they're actually quite nice. Um, <laughs> they, unlike a restaurant, we took over a warehouse space in Stanford. Um, you know, when you go and design a, a traditional restaurant, a lot of times you have to make that kitchen fit into the space that's available in that retail environment. And, you know, sometimes you end up with these crazy shapes or really custom built tables and things that can only fit in that one spot. What is unique in the flavors of kitchens is they're each just sort of big squares. And the idea is you shape the square to fit the menu that you're serving. Um, in these kitchens, none of the uh, heavy equipment is actually permanently attached. Like all the electrical connections hang down from the ceiling all the plumbing connections are on quick disconnects and even the gas lines are on quick disconnects. What this allows you to do is as you're changing your menu content or, you know, from season to season, or even you know, a couple hours, you know, lunch is sometimes different than dinner menus. You can alter the layout of your kitchen to be optimally set up for that specific uh, menu content. Um, so, our facility happens to be very nice too. The kitchens are actually mostly on the second floor of this warehouse and they're the entire second floor is all glass. So all these kitchens actually look oh, outside. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Coming from a restaurant world, especially in the city, a lot of times you're in the basement and you wouldn't see the light of day. For, yeah. Right. You know, exactly. A couple, Natural light at a time. A luxury. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but what I, found exciting when we first started doing the drawings, we would go to different kitchen designers and a lot of them would try and put in like these, you know, massive steam tables that were sort of fixed and unmovable. Yeah. And I, and I kept saying, no, no, it's not that kind of thing. And then they would come back to me after looking at like catering operations and create like these huge prep areas. And I was like, no, it's not that kind of thing either. Um, so what I really just need is a lot of utility hookups yep. and quick disconnects. So at Flavorism, one of the, my favorite parts is at least once a week, they dismantle the kitchens entirely, including the hotlines and they move all the refrigeration and stuff out into this loading dock delivery area, plug everything back in and then go into the kitchens and do floors, walls, and ceilings. Top oh, to bottom. Nice. Yeah. That's a great um, little feature. Yeah. It, uh, I'm not sure how much your audience wants to hear about the inner workings <laughs> of a kitchen, but 
but again, coming from you know usually very congested, tight operations, the ability to take this place apart, um, give it a very thorough once over every couple of days, is a luxury. Uh, Big time luxury. I mean, I know that when like the quick disconnects, you know, worth started to become a thing in restaurants. Everyone was excited that you could actually disconnect it for a second to get it done, but it didn't really happen that often. But yeah, that's great. Yeah, so, uh, you touched on it a little bit before, and I don't want to. Uh, I mean, we don't have to beat it at horse, but you had mentioned your impetus for starting this company. What exactly was, you know, you had said uh, wages and the real estate. Can you just elaborate a little bit on what caused you to start this? Was it, you know, one single thing? You saw the future coming. I mean, you sounds like you were a little bit ahead of the curve. So how did you get to that point? And, and what was the real, the real, uh, yeah. real reason? So we're going back almost 20 years now, but, I originally left the food world um, as a chef because I wanted to change the way supermarkets work. I was sort of getting annoyed at the amount of waste that supermarkets in general produce and then the amount of waste that households produce when they buy stuff, bring it home, and then don't use it. Um, I'm a big fan of people should eat healthy and they should eat exciting food. Um, and if they're going to have a cheeseburger or a pizza, it should be the best cheeseburger or pizza they're ever going to have. Um, but I didn't see restaurants having the ability to alter that. Flavorism came about really because I was seeing a shift in lifestyle. I think people really value what they eat now. I think they really want to know exactly where their ingredients are coming from, how they're being handled, you know, what's being done you know, differently or more exciting on a regular basis. In the restaurant world, once you've invested, you know, a million dollars on decor and chairs and china, and you have your, you know, your music selection picked out and you have the look for your wait staff, it's very hard to make rapid changes to your menu because they all have to fit very neatly with the theme of the restaurant for the consumer to feel comfortable. As I started thinking about that and thinking about people at home not necessarily cooking as much as they used to or families not finding enough time between sports and extracurriculars or even an individual in an apartment. You know, it's actually really hard to cook for yourself. Um, cooking for one person generally <laughs> is time consuming and generates a lot of waste. Um, I started looking at flavors and it's not so much as a restaurant replacement, but a new sort of lifestyle brand for a more balanced, more wholesome way of feeding yourself and your family. Um, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the true push for it came after I started Menu Maven software. Um, we had restaurants that were using our software and were getting like too many orders. And I started spending a lot of time in each individual restaurant trying to you know, coach the staff or share ideas on other ways of running their restaurant that might help them deal with the volume. And you know, quite frankly, I was like, I can't scale this business if I'm going to teach the restaurants one at a time. Right. Um, so I started thinking about like, you know, what if I took those individual chefs and put them into a facility where they're all together and started learning some best practices off each other. Um, or if I could poke my head in now and again and say, you know, this is what I would do. Or, or they might have some ideas of their own, you know, what would that look like? You know, 
the yeah so i'm I'm looking at i'm looking at the flavorism website right now so you have six concepts here so in theory not in theory in practice my wife could order something from the ramen place i could order a pizza and my daughter could order something from puebla grill and they would all come together yeah and and you can put all that stuff in you know one shopping cart it's really easy because there, there's no minimum requirements or anything like that to meet with the restaurant so you can quite literally buy a smoothie from farmer's palate and then get you know a, a detroit pizza from cucina 18 right um each person in your household is going to be you know happy because they got to get exactly what they want but you as a consumer don't have the hassle of you know having to make phone calls or, or use apps yeah. to order from multiple places. The other part is this food is all going to come with one driver. Um, he's a flavorism driver. He's not a third party person. It's, you know, right. it's a flavorism employee. Um, and it's going to come in packaging and materials that they've, they actually create a lot of their own stuff. That's going to optimize the temperatures. So like that smoothie is not getting put in a shopping bag with that same pizza to watch the, smoothie melt and the <laughs> pizza yeah. lose its temperature they're, they're packing everything individually they here like we do some cool stuff with um our own proprietary ice packs things like that to wrap those smoothies so they travel um pizza too actually has a cool heating pack that we make here but well, that's, um, a, that's a whole other conversation in of itself yeah yeah <laughs> the packaging is a big big deal here. yeah i mean packaging and uh, like accessibility right accessibility to this food some of these guys are of these third-party deliveries i'm not insinuating that your guys are but are have been guilty of you know taking a sip of the coke on the way over to there having some french fries right so packaging security is is a big thing and there's a big difference there because our guys are employed here these are full-time people you know with benefits these are you know this is a this is the core of their work day this is not a, a side gig um, having that control end to end, you know, having the ability to have the chef trust exactly where the driver's going and knowing exactly how long they're going to take to get there allows that chef a lot more thought and input into how they're making the food. Right. Um, you know, using the third party drivers, they don't have the right, you know, delivery stuff, you know, the, the proper insulated bags, or if they have an insulated bag, it's not vented correctly to let right. the steam get out of certain dishes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a big, so, it's a big thing. I mean, you know, you lose, that's one. I remember, you know, being involved with a restaurant uh, previously that when this whole third party delivery thing became a thing, we were like, Oh, we're, we're going to lose control of the quality. No, not yeah, that. And, and, and accountability. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The, the quality is a huge part of it um, because you, you're losing control of timing. And if you know, you've spent a lot of time in restaurants, timing is everything. You know, once the, the, you know, the night has gone south and you start losing control of timing, every customer feels it immediately. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, they'll all still pay their check and stuff. But as a restaurant, you really fail the customer. Right. Um, here, because we own the building, we own the software, we own the kitchen design, we own a lot of the packaging, meaning that we've created the packaging designs ourselves and, and jobbed it out to larger manufacturers. Um, the ancillary stuff like the ice packs and heating pads, we've created ourselves and got approval from you know the health department and run it by them. They want us to sell it to other restaurants. <laughs> oh, I bet. Um, yeah. 
and then we own the vehicles and we own all the sort of data for tracking traffic and knowing how long a vehicle is going to take to get to a certain spot, you know, down to the minute. We've taken a lot of the variables that are out there and put them completely under our control. Um, you know, things still happen, you know, accidents still pop up and stuff right, like of that. Course. But we also have the ability to see those things happening in real time. And we did, you know, it was almost a year ago, but we had one driver uh, headed from Stanford to Greenwich and he got pulled over. I think he was speeding, but <laughs> um, he actually didn't get a ticket. But if anyone's ever been pulled over, you know, it's going to take 10 or 15 minutes um, speaking with the police That's officer right. or getting your yeah. license checked. So while the police officer um, you know, was taking his license, he called back here to the expediter and said, I just got pulled over. So the expediter immediately sent another car. So the car, our second car pulled up next to him, emptied you know, the orders out, let him stay with the police officer until everything was taken care of. <laughs> that's the great. Still got to the yeah, the food still got to the customer, you know, right on time. But, you know, that's to, to your um, point, that's where it helps to have your own employees because with a third party thing, I've, I've witnessed, you know, not somebody getting pulled over, but, you know, where something, somebody, let's say, forgot something. Well, now you got to wait for somebody else to come back and get it. And it's, or, you know, sometimes you've had to run it out yourself. Like, oh, forget it. They're close. We'll just run it over there. So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a tremendous benefit. Yeah, when we first started here, we were using Grubhub and some other ones. I remember one time a third party, it was actually Uber's, they had a bicycle driver show up and it was like January, it was like minus 10 degrees out. And I was like, there's no way you're going to get this food to the customer in any way acceptable as far as I'm concerned. And he's like, well, this is where they sent me. So I took his car, put it, or his bicycle, put it in my car and drove him. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, an awful idea. I guess he's just trying to make money, right? He was like, "This, I have a vehicle. I can deliver food on my bike." Yeah, a little, yeah, tr little tricky yeah. in our neck of the woods. Yeah, it works in it works in the denser cities, but when yeah. you know here things are going five miles away or something like that, it's just <laughs> not a well thought out plan. <laughs> not at all. Um, not at all. The other thing that you know, when I started building this or the idea of it, you know, having spent my entire life in the culinary world, I was looking to build a business that chefs could take a long-term pleasure in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the restaurant industry is in many ways killer. It's, it wears you down. It, it, it's hard. Um, but the chefs here generally work about 40 hours a week. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a break. That's like a part-time yeah. chef. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, if they're not feeling well or anything like that, there's an entire team of other kitchens to support them. So they do get to call out sick, um, wow. which is unheard of. Yeah. It's like disruptive to the industry over there. <laughs> um, but the bigger part of it is, you know, when we started, I wasn't necessarily looking at getting national chains as tenants into these buildings. What I was really looking for and still looking for as we expand in other cities is, you know, chef entrepreneurs, people that are really talented in the culinary world, want to do exciting stuff for the customers, but starting a restaurant is financially, you know, generally you know, almost impossible for a lot of people. Right. Um, but at Flavorism, since the only thing that we're focused on is food, we're not, you know, we're selling some beverages and stuff like that, but we're not worried about decor. We're not worried about music. The chef is really the center part of the operation for each kitchen um, and by building a business around them they get to work on building their personal brand and this is you know becomes something that they own 
which is a lot different than you know a traditional restaurant world where a group of investors may get together and the chef becomes the first you know expendable employee um you know if things you know at somebody else's whim yeah yeah no that's a, that's a good point i mean um if nothing else it could be a launching pad for a guy right so that's that's a huge advantage so my question is you know it seems like people have been receptive it seems like your timing has been right how do you scale this business what's the plan for flavorisms are going to be flavorisms throughout the country or what is that what's your ultimate goal here with this yeah that's the idea so we're already operating we don't have a facility yet but we have the software going in houston um, oh, we, wow. have software okay. go- we have software going in Boston starting in a couple weeks. Um, we are working with a group of restaurants out in LA right now to help them build their own version of flavorism. Very cool. Um, and again, you know, we're licensing this software out to these different areas, these different operations. Um, and then I do intend to buy or lease uh, more facilities like the one in Stanford in, in these other cities. You know, Houston and Boston being the first two. Um, and the restaurants that are here currently or the chefs that are here currently will have, you know, sort of the right of first refusal in those other cities. Right. Right. Oh, very that, cool. That will open up um, in Houston and say Peter from Fahrenheit 760, if he wants to take on the challenge of running two operations that are a thousand miles apart from each other or more than that, I guess. Um you know, he'll have that, that right. But the big difference is he has the entire flavorism support system around him, which is, you know, lawyers, accountants, management, marketing. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, uh, so, that's not there if you go out on your own. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah so that's, yeah, that's, that's a big plus. Yeah, of course. So I think the, the goal is 10 of these facilities within the next three years. Okay. Um, you know, that's relatively slow pace compared to some of the competitors that I think are coming out on the market. Right. Um, but it's a, um, I, don't know, I want to say it's more beneficial to the chefs because these are realistic plans. I don't know, have you, have you looked at some of the other virtual kitchens that are coming out? Or? I have, I have looked at a few. Um, I have not, um, I mean, I have not ordered from one. I haven't been to one, but, yeah, I have, I have looked at some of them. Okay. Yeah, my my view is we've had a few of them here. Um, some of, some very big players have come in here, and my 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 gut feeling is that in, until they're willing to invest the time in sort of not streamlining the operation, but really focusing on the minute to minute details of the operation, uh-huh. that they're going to struggle to sort of retain their customers. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to be too quick to get on the defensive yeah, or offenses. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> just wrapping up here, where if somebody wants to order from Flavorism, obviously they have to be within your delivery area, uh, yeah. which is what? Uh, it's, well, it's on our website, but okay. it's mostly along 95. So Port Chester up to Darien along okay. I-95. That's a good um, area to deliver to. Yeah, we don't quite make it all the way up to the merit. Okay. So the but the majority of the orders are going to Greenwich and Stanford. Um a few outliers here in Darien and a few sort of random orders coming over the Port Chester, the far reaches of our delivery zones, but up to about six miles out. We're okay. 
we're serving. We don't really look at it as miles. We look at it as uh, minutes. So right. about 15 minutes away. Cool. Um, so if somebody wants to order, the best way to do it is to head to the Flavorism flavor. website? Yep, flavorism.com. Okay. And in about a month, there'll be the Flavorism app coming oh, out, well. which is it's going to have a cool feature that we call Flavor Rush. So if you're in designated areas that are Flavor Rush eligible, you get some really cool benefits. Um, you get like delivery times every 20 minutes, every 30 minutes. Um, you're paying a fixed uh, sort of fee, like no tipping, um, or it's all combined tipping service fee and things like that. And you keep it low, like two bucks. Oh, cool. Um, all in. So the cool thing about that is if you're in an apartment and you're there by yourself and you just want the, you know, a salad and it's eight bucks, you're, you're in, you know, there's no minimums that you have to meet or anything like that. Um, or if you're a household and, and everybody in the household wants something different, you, you have the benefit of the food hall, but the app will give all those people a, um, sort of a faster buying experience similar yep. to what our corporate clients get and a little bit of price savings as well. Very cool. Well, John, I appreciate you taking time out. Um, this is very informative. I think, um, you know, a lot of people are going to start to become more aware of flavorism and this type uh, way of eating. And I think you're very well positioned here and I, and I give you a lot of credit. It's um, not easy to get something like that uh, off the ground and have that much foresight, particularly in this business where things are kind of changing quickly. So uh, congratulate you on that. And um, yeah, thanks so much again for being on. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right, I'll speak to you soon. Take All care. Right. Thanks, guys. Uh, another episode of uh, Running the Pass wrapped up with John Brennan at Flavorism. Uh, head over to the Flavorism website, uh, www.flavorism.com. Go ahead and set up your account. And if you're within that delivery area, uh, check it out. Give it a shot, guys. All right, till next time, guys. Have a good night. Thank you.